Welcome to Redefining Medicine, an intimate and personalized program that illustrates a different side of the practice of medicine. Our in-depth conversations will focus on mentors and motivators who are consistently reshaping, redefining, and rediscovering the field of medical healthcare. I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Kathleen O'Neill-Smith, who has served on the faculty of both Tufts University Medical School and Boston University School of Medicine. Dr. O'Neill-Smith is continuously dedicated to providing customized care to her patients, coupled with the most cutting-edge therapies in integrative health. Thank you so much, Dr. O'Neill-Smith, for joining us today. I appreciate you being on our program. So nice to be here with you. Oh, thank you. So let's just rewind the tape a little bit and think back to what initially inspired you to get into medicine. Well, I, it wasn't that I ever thought I was going to be a doctor. I, was, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a doctor, but I um, was really into athletics and really appreciated the human body and how it functioned from a very, from high school for sure, and absolutely wanted to explore optimum performance and athleticism um, young. And so I spent most of my time in the athletic world teaching science and uh, physiology and biology in high school and then coaching rowing. That was really what inspired me to be well. And once I finished with my rowing career and I knew I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish there as an athlete and as a coach, I then decided to figure out what direction I would go in and medical school was the only option. And as a teacher at a local high school in Boston, uh, I had many parents who were doctors and they had encouraged me unequivocally and overwhelmingly to consider being a doctor. So you had the desire from day one to really get into an integrative approach I did. I did. It wasn't the, the approach you take because once you go to medical school, right. it's certainly not yeah, learning it's, about that. you know, you're learning all about sickness. So learning about sickness was the path. And then throughout medical school, I ultimately did a year of pathology fellowship, a one year in pathology to try to really get into the body again and really understand the body from a sickness perspective, because ultimately I would have to address it address that in order to get it to optimally function. So from the very beginning, it was looking at how the body could go awry, what could go awry, and then how could I uh, help it function optimally. So it is my understanding that you mm -hmm. graduated from Boston University Magna Cum mm -hmm. Laude. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you did your pathology internship at MassGen? That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I see here you also did your internship and residency in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's. That's Hospital. right. Okay. Yeah. So how, after spending those years in, in, in practice, um, how did you or what was the impetus to make you transition into an integrative practice? Well, when I finished med school and went into my residency, I had three children under 15 months. <laughs> Three so, under 15 months? Okay, so, so there's a set of twins in there somewhere. There's a set of twins, okay. exactly. So I had a boy and then I had twins spontaneously. So I had to figure out how was I going to manage everything. So initially I did end-of-life care because people were relatively captive. They were very sick, I did palliative care, hospital-based, could work at any hour of the day and also manage my own life, my own health, and my, and my children as well, my babies 
who were born quite premature. So it was a, it, they're fine, no issues, but it was just a lot of work. So I, um, I did a lot of end-of-life care, and I really loved my work. I really, really loved the hospital-based work I did, and you know, really kind of from the pathology to that, just from my pathology uh, internship to that, really spent a lot of time just understanding how I could help these people. And ultimately, one thing that happened was I loved that work so much I thought this has got to, this is like a whole new industry. I feel like I'm on Mars every day when I go to work and I feel like these people, they don't know how they got there. Something's got to give and I've got to understand how can I help these people at the other end of things. You know, this isn't the Olympics. This is the opposite of the Olympics. So I have to understand how can I intervene with the general population as opposed to the elite level athlete and help them understand how they can be well and how they can live their life optimally and prevent this from happening. At least if not for them, for me, for the people I love around me, what can I do to help them understand what they can do to make their life better and their end of life better? Right, so there's one, it's one thing to think that way and it's another thing to completely change what you're doing every day and how right. you're doing it. Right. So how did you come to, what was your next step? Well, my next step was getting sick. So I got sick as well, so everybody has their personal story. And so for me, I ended up being very, very sick. I lost 10 pounds and then 20 pounds and then 30 pounds. Oh and of course, I told you I had all those, I had those babies at home and I thought that I was dying. I was dying. So I was ultimately 80 pounds. Oh my and you know just kind of continuing to go through the days and not understanding what was happening and I saw a series of doctors um, who didn't really know either and I went to my the head of the, the department that I was in who told me that I was a survivor and I should see the psychiatrist so I went to see the head of psychiatry you know in my waif-like state, wondering what was I gonna do, but I needed somebody to understand that I was sick and I didn't know what it, what it was. And um, he agreed, this head of psychiatry agreed, you're sick, you know, you're not crazy, you're sick. So it turned out that I had, um, in my 30s, developed type one diabetes. Wow. So it was quite, I had, was really, really, really sick. So I had to really build my, dig, crawl myself out of that uh, cavern, bunker. And what really helped me crawling out of that bunker, well, the mantra I had at that time was, how low can you go? And I went from a mantra of thinking I would never die <laughs> to a mantra of how low can you go? And so crawling out of that bunker was interesting, but it was mostly using functional medicine integrative medicine, a nutritional, physiological model that helped me to really crawl out of that. And within no time, I, I began to rebuild and restore and feel stronger. And I was really amazed at how quickly restoring that functional, taking that functional approach with nutrients, with you know just everyday things would help me feel stronger and stronger to the point where I thought, oh, I'm back. I'm as good as I had been when I was training f with the U.S. rowing team, so and as strong as I could be. So that kind of shifted my whole focus. I found A4M then, and that was around 2006. 
Let me just ask you, so did you find out all this information about utilizing a functional medicine approach on your own, or did you seek on out a own. physician? On my own. Okay, so entirely. how did you even learn that something like that existed? I just Googled it, mm -hmm. you know. Are, are there fellowships, or uh, is there an approach to understand how to use these nutrients in a, in a medical way, in a way to help people feel better? And I found you know, one of the modules that was tiny <laughs> in Chicago way back in 06. And that was the beginning of the beginning. And how long did it take you to get better once you started implementing everything that you were? Mm, it really took five years. Oh. I, mean, I mean, I was better and better and better. But it, it was, it's a process. And it helped me to appreciate how long it really does take and how, what a commitment you do have to take, make in order to be well. And it's, I felt better along the way, obviously, at each step. Were every you still three working? months. I was still working, yeah. I took very brief windows of time off and reduced my schedule a little bit, but it took, you know, it was, you know, I could work, yeah. So, what was the feeling like of the frustration that you must have had with all the doctors that you had seen to try to get your own diagnosis? Here you are, an accomplished physician, and seeking out. You know the best of care. You're, you're in it, and you're in a city which has, mm -hmm. has you know, the the, the best of the best. What kind of frustration did you have? You know, realizing that you should have. I mean, type one diabetes is not a difficult diagnosis <laughs> to make. I mean, how come it was oh so hard? Oh my gosh! I know. I still wonder. I really still wonder because I was in endocrinology at the Brigham as a as a patient, and it it was very difficult for them to understand that this could be real. And it was, uh, it was difficult for me to accept it as well because I thought I had lived my life so cleanly that how could this happen to me? And, and the fact of how could, the, if this could happen to me, what could happen to other people was that it didn't pay attention? Was it the pregnancy that turned? It was probably the pregnancy, but I think that that was a major stressor, you know, in terms of many things that we now understand, the right, microbiome and metabolically, all of these other things. But I think that there was also, you know, there's a susceptibility, a genetic susceptibility, there's a major stressor, and then there's gotta be another event. I mean, is it the microbiome? Is it an infection? What is it? I mean, who knows? It's multifactorial, and I don't really think it matters because I think it gives me an appreciation, and it, it is my best teacher day in and day out of how to really, you know, come at and, and a challenge that somebody has, a medical challenge that I have or a patient has, and just find the way to slog through that to get to wellness. And, and the fact that I could find my way through that, you know, using all of the principles that I learned at A4M, you know, with each module along the way, and at that point there were only four modules, you know, and now there, I don't know how many there are, there are many, many modules that are amazing, but those four modules were the foundation for healing. And they continue to be the foundation for healing patients in my practice. So what period of time lapsed before you gave your notice and moved on from? I would say I stuck with my regular practice for an additional year. Oh, so it was, it was pretty quick. Okay. It was pretty quick. Oh yeah, no, I was right. pretty quick. I'm definitely one to just like, dive in, if I believe it, and if it makes sense to me, and I can understand it, I'm all in. So how did your allopathic training differ from the training that you received from A4M? And 
Well, there are two ends of a spectrum, right? So they're kind of an about phase. I, I, I'm glad I had all the allopathic training I had because it definitely provided um, a springboard from the sickness, from being mired in sickness to what does it mean to be optimally well. But I think if I didn't have my physiology background and my athletic background, it would have been a little bit more difficult. For me, it's a no-brainer. The way that A4M and the, I call it a sickness model versus a wellness model, there, it, there's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's the only way to approach something. So, as, but if you understand the sickness model, then you can approach it more readily that way. And it's something that I do in my practice every day. I say, well, we have choices. We can choose this model, we can choose this model. It's difficult in Boston practicing in, within this model because my colleagues, whom I love and respect, are really mired in that model. They're mired in the, the pharmaceutical industry. They're mired in an, an algorithm that absolutely approaches health from a disease state. And, you know, I, I feel blessed, I feel really blessed and fortunate to have gone down this path at the beginning, when, it, when the modules were small, when you could know all of the, all of the people, all of the professors, all of the teachers who I think are amazing and who have taught me so much. So, have you received criticism from your peers? Oh, <laughs> every day, every day. But no regrets? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I feel that what I do in my world right now of medicine is ethical, uh, it's safe, it's effective, it's sustainable, and I don't think the other model is. I don't think it's ethical, it's hard to say. I don't think it's sustainable, and I don't think it's safe. So can you discuss some of your success stories, some of your patients that? Sure, I mean, from the way I approach my practice is I have kind of a pyramid approach. And I really think of it as, you know, just seeds, fertilizers, uh, and cytoskeletal structure or structure on a bedrock, right? I mean, that's just, it's very basic. We have a bedrock, that's, those are our genes. Those we have to influence. We have to take that into consideration no matter what happens. We want to plant seeds, but we have to know that there's a structure for where those seeds are planted. You just can't drop them anywhere and just hope they're going to grow. You know, that would be wonderful, but in this environment, that doesn't happen. So, you know, I think of seeds and I think of like how to fertilize those seeds and how to create that growth. And so, obviously, the seeds are the stem cells and, and upregulating the stem cells or providing the stem cells or providing platelet-rich plasma or some plasma, you know, and then the peptides are just another bonus in terms of it. The nutrients are essential and the people that I work with in the fellowship component that I work in, which is the peptide certification, you know, it's, it's, it's all important. And you've got to just kind of always come back from a 40,000 foot view to understand how are you going to really make and create not one amazing tomato plant for one year that you enjoyed those tomatoes but they're never coming back. This is how do you get a perennial garden to grow, to flourish, to thrive? And how do you feed those seeds and nurture those seeds day in and day out? 
and you know what are the components the microbiome the peptides the nutrients the genome it's all important and you've got to keep it very simple for your patients so that they can understand what they need to do in order to be well so who is your typical patient well i have i would say that my typical patient is usually a failure of the system so it's somebody who basically has been in the medical system the Boston medical system and they've attempted to be treated there but they haven't done well and so as a result they are they feel like a failure because that medical system stops trying because they've tried all of the pharmaceuticals that they and then they come to see me <laughs> and then I have to start with that whole bedrock how you know what's going on and I have to examine it and I do with many 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 biomarkers but then I just come back to what simply what can we do and we just take it one step at a time so I would say you know I have I'll give you an example of a young boy um, whose family brought him to see me and he had lost all of his hair in a day literally they were on vacation uh, in Christmas break for the family and they came back and he had he was bald. From medication? No, no. from an autoimmune condition. Oh, wow. An autoimmune condition. And they wanted to go the typical Boston route. They went to Children's Hospital of Boston. They did steroids and they did Rogaine and they did everything and the family thought it was Lyme and they went down a path for six months of how to potentially grow his hair back. And at last, six months later, they came back to me and they said, okay, we're ready. What is it you need to do? And we took that analogy that I used earlier of, you know, what are your genetics like? What are your genes like? What, what is your GI tract like? And we began to heal that. And I used peptides and PRP nutrients that I, I know. And we grew his hair back in nine weeks. Oh, my goodness. In nine weeks to a full head of hair like yours. Wow. What a wonderful success story. It was amazing. I'm still amazed at it, but it really is just taking those principles in the pyramid approach that I have, which is understanding the genes and the nutrients and the peptides and the plasma and just restoring, you know? Now, have you restored and gotten to the bottom, or should I say, have you gotten to the root of what this auto immune situation or or is it a is it it's not temporary this is something right that, that's so, right. Is, so that's have right. you gotten to the root of of what this is and how to prevent him from having other symptoms and side effects from this well that's a good question he's not on any medications okay. at this point so it's now three and a half four years out hmm. so he's not on any medications and we continue to monitor his labs so i would say that we we know that his immune system is affected and so we're working on restoring his immune system with some of these peptides. We know that his biome is affected and we're working on healing his gut. We do know that his thyroid is impacted and we're working on mitigating uh, thyroid disease. You know, are we going to be able to prevent, prevent these things? I don't know. But we're, we are certainly four years ahead of it and we're four years into it and continuing to restore you know, his function. He's now 16 years old. I talked to the family this so week. Young. So he was 11, 12 when we began this process. And he's going to go through a lot of changes and we're going to have to navigate because this is a dynamic, as you noted, situation. But he's a wonderful story of, you know, just kind of like 
being with the patient and, you know, working towards, you don't make the Olympic team in a day. And it may be four years or it may be eight years. For me, the journey was a good six years, you know, of, of going there. So this is a journey for him of how to create and restore his system. It's never over. The work is never done. But w how can we simplify it so that he can live a normal, healthy life and know how to what kind of a workout to do that day, right? If we equ equ equate it to that. You can't do the same workout every day. You've got to kind of be with it. How, do, how am I feeling? How am I sleeping? How am I eating? What am I thinking? And you know, this, this kid is in it. He's really in it to win it. And he knows how to think about his food, how to think about his sleep, how to think about his stress, how to think about his movement. Talk about a compliant patient, wow. Right. Most adults aren't. <laughs> but he's got hair growth and right. he wants his hair to be on his head and not on the pillow. Let's talk a little bit about, you keep mentioning microbiome. Can you discuss the relationship between the microbiome and neurological disorders? Oh, of course. So I speak a lot on the brain-gut right. connection and the shifting the paradigm and understanding, you know, what's going on with this. And I think the science is really emerging right now. And I don't know that we know a lot. We do know that obesity is... I'm using these terms loosely, an infectious disease. And clearly that there are bu bugs within the biome when there is dysbiosis or disruption of the normal biome that are affecting our biome and that are affecting uh, the, the, the genome of the biome or the microbiome, which is the, the genes of the biome. So I think that this um, area of science is going to be and it have an enormous impact on how we treat uh, our patients and ourselves in the long run. So that along with understanding these peptides and this cell-to-cell -cell signaling and restoring um, these bio-natural regulators, which are amazing, I mean, we can use all of this new information to restore health and restore immunity, you know, a, a, string, a stronger immune system for our patients. And it's going to be fascinating how we put these, this all together. Now, are you, with the new modalities that are out there, are you able to reverse, when, you're, when you clean up the microbiome, are you able to reverse any, you know, disease or disorders that, that mm. they might be having in terms of, on a, on a neurological standpoint, if it's, if it's in, you know, relationship to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, or what, what have you? Are you able to reverse that or just nip it? I, you know, I, I never think in terms of reversing. Right. So I never, I'm not thinking about going backwards. I'm thinking about, I'm here right now, and where do I want to be? And I know that it's so dynamic that the body and the biome, our genome, that all of these, this environment is a very dynamic environment. So I'm thinking about how can I stay with this environment and encourage it. Come on, let's go, here we go. We're gonna be a little bit better today, a little bit better tomorrow. So I'm thinking about how I can encourage it to behave and function as best better. it can. okay. Yeah, so I'm always thinking about how do I affect, how do I affect through the GI tract, starting with the mouth, right? How can I affect and improve how it communicates with the brain?
So, you know, especially when, when you sit down and, and talk to integrative physicians, you get, it, it's like you're getting 25 opinions as of to course. which diet, and gluten or no gluten, Mediterranean or paleo or ketogenic or what, what have you. So in your practice, what do you recommend? Or is mm. it again patient to patient and individual approach? When I first started, you know, being in physiology and nutrition as an undergrad, I thought I, and also being an athlete, I thought I knew the answer to diets. And I really was, it's this, it's that. But, I no longer feel that way. I think that the diet is dynamic. I think that we are so emotionally connected to our food that I have to work with each individual patient about what they can do and what they're willing to do. And for me, you know, having type 1 diabetes has been the biggest lesson I could ever have. I never imagined that this would be a challenge I had. So I have to, I'm work with ketosis and carbohydrates and proteins and fats within my own diet and I've learned so much that I never knew by having this challenge. So I think it's very individualized and I really don't promote any particular diet. I work with the patient's food choices and connections and what makes them feel good and what doesn't make them feel good. And you test for sensitivities and things? In order to get them to understand that, I test for sensitivities. I think that's, I use that information loosely. I do not think that gluten is good for anybody. I do not think that dairy is good for anybody. But I work with, you know, the individual to find out what will work for them. Because we just have to start with small changes. And then we can grow and build on those changes. So this young boy who would come mm, into you, mm -hmm. he, is he the, not the typical patient, obviously, but in terms of the span of time that it takes to bring back that patient to optimal health, would, was that time period, those several months, was that the typical Oh my gosh. Time no? Well, he was brilliant. I think the younger they are, oftentimes, if they have something that they want badly enough, mm -hmm. he wanted his hair and he saw his hair come back. So if they want something badly enough and they get a result, they are going to be your best patient. The patient who is the old dog, it's really hard to teach them new tricks. And they are really wedded to what they believe. And I will say that most patients, when they come into the practice, they're telling me everything they do right. And they've read everything. And I do this, and I do that, and I do, and I listen. And then it's really, it's really a dance with them to have them be open and willing to make a change because they really want to defend what they think they're doing. It's really interesting to me. It's very psychologically based. And I just kind of go with the flow with them in terms of trying to find out where we can make a change and what they're willing to do. So thinking back to when you made the transition, mm. And, and if you reflect back on your career now, why is this field of integrative and regenerative medicine so important to you? It's the most important thing. It's really the most important thing that we take a step back and we look at, forgive me, but the chemical warfare in the environment and in the body from all angles, including pharmaceutically. And I really believe that we have got to work with each individual patient that finds us to help them understand 
how they can be well and what they can do to be well and to feed their bodies and to supply their bodies with the most optimal nutrients for functioning that are available to them today. So when you speak and you teach your day for mm. what pearls of wisdom can you offer to your students that'll be in that classroom about whether they're new to A4M, new to integrative medicine, or they've been here for years? Mm. I think the most important thing is coming together and learning from each other and sharing the information that we have, the experiences that we have, and what works, right? What works for our patients. So always go to 40,000 feet. The details can be overwhelming, but if you can come back to 40,000 feet and you can have a view with your, with your patient, with your client, of one or two things that, that are changeable for them, you know, introducing something that will A, be safe, B, make them feel better, help them to feel better, and to know that you're on their team, right? That you're really with them and you understand them and appreciate them. You can give them something. My job is to make somebody feel better within two weeks. Wow. Within two weeks. They have to feel a positive change. And if they don't, I'm not on the right track. So I gather the data, I go to 40,000 feet, and I know that in order to build a rapport with my patient, with my client, with the person sitting in front of me, I have two weeks. I have two weeks to make a change. I'd prefer to do it that day before they leave the office. My goodness. And have them feel something different that's positive. So that's my goal, and I check in within two weeks, and if we haven't made a change, we have another two weeks to do that. So I take it in a very small intervals, and I try to make a difference. Do your patients know your personal story? I don't think they do. No, I don't think they do. No. You've intentionally chosen not to share it with them? Um, no, I think that probably they, what my patients know is that I'm committed, and what they know and I tell them when they leave the office after the very first visit, I may not have the answers. I may not have the answers as to what is causing you to feel unwell, but you know, and I can promise you, that I will never give up trying to help you. If only somebody other than yourself had told you that, trying to find your, what was wrong. Right, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I'll never give up and I'll always be here even when you don't feel well, you can let me know. Be honest, be truthful. I want to hear it, and I want to be able to help you find what will work for you. All right, so let's get back to a totally other topic, is your rowing oh, and how rowing. that began. So you you were rowing in high school? Is that where that started? or No, I never so, rowed in high oh, school. Wow. I so showed up on campus in college okay. and was recruited for the team and... You showed up in college <laughs> and was recruited for the team. Well, you know, they have all those tables out there on the, you know, with was the... Was it a club or this was... A, no, it was, it was actual... A, okay. Oh, Division One, Division One <laughs> rowing. I, I was you very fortunate... you know how many kids are trying to get recruited today? And, I know. Okay. Well, these were the old days. I mean, it was one of those sports. It was during Title IX before the women's sports were big. We had to raise all the money for our team to compete, to travel. We, ha we were selling 
I don't know, cookies and cakes and whatever else we were selling to try to make the money to compete. But I was really fortunate. I had two coaches, my freshman coach and then my, for the, for the rest of my uh, career uh, in college, I had two coaches who had rode on the U.S. team and were great mentors. And they took me under their wings and I was committed and I think I had more notebooks from my from my rowing from my daily rowing logs than I did from my courses that I kept notes vigor rigid rigorous notes of of what I wanted to do in order to be better and in order to win so I was really really committed to this and really really loved competing and just understanding the sport and and how to make a boat go faster and better and, and to be stronger and to outsmart any of my competitors so strategically. You were on the U.S. Olympic team? So I started rowing in, 19, in the 70s and in 1980 I was invited to be part of the Olympic development camp. So I started rowing then, uh, went out to California for the summer and competed, uh, lived there and competed then, and that was the beginning of the journey. And um, subsequent to that, 1980, we did not go to the Olympics, right? So I was not part of that Olympic team. That had already been developed from 76 through 1980. So in 1980, I was part of the next crew to come through for 84. So rowing became my passion my life, my passion. I thought about it, lived it, slept it, dreamt it, ate it. <laughs> it was everything I did every day. I mean, it was what I thought about every day. And then I just, um, we had a really, really, really exceptional team in, in college, and we won all of our races and went to nationals. And, and from there, um, I went every summer to training camps and uh, selection camps, which were held around the country, uh, and and made the U.S. the U.S. team, and it was quite a quite an quite a, uh, but that was my first introduction to peptides, though I didn't know it because I was training and competing against the as uh, Dr. Seeds calls the beasts mm -hmm. from the Eastern Bloc countries, and we would show up in, you know. Switzerland or Canada or Germany to compete and the women from the other countries were enormous. I mean they were not like my teammates. They were they were enormous and I remember you know people having their urine collected in the bathrooms and not really even understanding what was going Why? on. Why? You know and then realizing in the end oh Oh, that yes, there are other drugs that you can take in order to compete. But we did well. Um, we were always meddling, you know, in, in, in our competitions. And in 84, the Eastern Bloc countries didn't come as well. So it was another uh, disappointment in, in California when they didn't show up as well to compete. But nonetheless, you know, we competed with them in the world championships and did quite well always. So. We held our own, but that was the beginning to understanding about how peptides are used internationally. Performance enhancement. Exactly. So then you went on to coach. Okay. Right. So I I rode through 1984, and then beginning in 1985, I um, coached the U.S. team, initially the lightweight women, 
and then subsequently the heavyweight women. So I really wanted to coach the heavyweight men, but never got to that point because I ultimately decided to go to medical school <laughs> and to just let it go. So since you entered the integrative regenerative medicine space, has there been um, any time that, that you've regretted the decision or that you've, you know, it's been frustrating because of whatever? Never, never. I, I really think that I've been so blessed and so fortunate to have entered this arena so early on in my career, relatively. I wish it had been earlier, but I think that being able to put together the athletic work that I've done, the work with athletes that I've done, the work in teaching science and physiology and biology in high school, going to medical school, doing pathology, working with the elderly and coming all the way, you know, to the other spectrum, all the way back and just letting that pendulum swing back to regeneration has been kind of a dream come true. I mean, it's like miracle on ice for me. You know, this is the gold medal to be able to be here, to be able to be practicing regenerative medicine with the perspective that I've had and also, you know, to have had to, you know, deal with the challenge of type 1 diabetes and um, all of it has been really a miracle for me and I'm really really grateful every day and every day I wake up and every day I don't know if I'll have the answers for my patients and I just feel grateful that I have the knowledge base that I have the colleagues that I have that work so hard in this industry to advance it that I can go into the office and at least have the foundation to do the best I can do, to bring the best in information to these people that I can bring. I'm really blessed and I'm very grateful for that. So other than peptides, which you're obviously so excited and passionate about, what other technologies or modalities are you looking forward to utilizing or are you, have you already started to utilize in your practice? What, what's the next five years look like for you as well as the future of medicine? Well, certainly the microbiome, certainly peptides, certainly PRP and stem cells. So I've done the stem cell fellowship through A4M. I work um, on the board of the American Academy of Stem Cell Physicians, which is a relatively new group, and on the IPS board, the International Peptide Board. So those two areas, along with the microbiome, I think are the most emerging areas. And I work every day, I read every day, I'm on board calls every day. Um, with some of these groups to really understand and how, and to advance in a rigorous way the science of these medical therapeutics. So I, you know, I, I can't even believe, I think we're at the beginning of the beginning in all of this industry and I think it's going to be remarkable to see how this all changes. Genomics, proteomics, exosomes, you name it, it's all really, really, really exciting. But I think the really important thing for all of us in medicine and for the consumer and the patients is to remember how can we apply this? What can we practically do to apply this to our everyday life, to be well, to help others be well? I think that's really the thing that we have to continue to remember. I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really a pleasure. Thank you.